0: Acts chapter two. This morning we'll be reading uh, verses 33 through 41. Uh, And just to to kind of remind you, uh, we're right in the middle of Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Uh, And so two weeks ago we looked at the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, we looked at the death and resurrection of Jesus that that Peter begins to preach. Uh, and this week, uh, we'll look at the exaltation of Christ in his ascension. Uh, Peter preached it all as one sermon. I think it's taken me three to get through it. I don't know if that's good or bad, uh, but it is the word of God. Let's follow along uh, as we read verse starting in verse thirty three. Being therefore exalted. At the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. For those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Let's. Open our sermon with a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just ask this morning, Lord, that you would bless uh, your word, uh, that you would be pleased to to minister to our hearts and souls as we hear what your word would say to us today. Uh, Lord, may we come before you this hour as a humble people, uh, repentant before you, acknowledging, Lord Jesus, that you are at the right hand of your father. And you rule over all creation and there is not one square inch of this creation that does not belong to you. It is yours and and you have claimed it and you are spreading this word to the nations. You are spreading this word to peoples of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation and, and country. And Lord, we ask that you would be faithful at spreading this word in York County, that you would spread it outside of the walls of this church outside of the walls of every church that is faithfully preaching your word, and that people would come to repentance. Lord, we too live in a crooked and sinful generation, and we need to come before you and receive salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Just give me the words to say this morning. May it be not my words, but your word that we hear, and may your Holy Spirit be living uh, and active as you promise to do. In your name we pray. Amen. If the president of the United States was was here this morning, uh, regardless of what you think of his uh, political party or the positions that he takes on on certain issues, if the president uh, was here, we would show him a measure of respect. Uh, We would show him. Uh, deference. He, of course, I'm sure would come in uh, with his secret service. And so no one would miss uh, that he's here. You can't, when you're the president, slip into a crowd, no matter how big uh, or small it might be. But if he was here... We would not just honor him. We would honor the position that he holds. Yes, on the one hand, the president is, is just a man. And he needs Jesus Christ just like every one of us. And so in that sense, uh, he is no worse or greater than any one of us. But because he holds the office of president, we would respect him. We acknowledge that he holds the highest uh, office in the land. It's interesting that, that even when presidents die... There is great ceremony. I remember uh, a number of years ago when President Reagan died and and there was a great funeral procession for him because of the office that he had held. And even people that were politically opposed to him and might have uh, torn him apart had there been debates or, or had been on the different side of the aisle on political issues still held him in such high respect when he passed away. If we were in England... Uh, we would be under the uh, authority of the queen, even though she's uh, mostly a figurehead. There would be all these rules and and protocols for how we would uh, address her if we happen to be in her presence. If we were to enter her throne room, we we don't just waltz our way in and, and saunter before her. There would be appropriate times to bow and to curtsy and appropriate titles of respect that we would address her with. Even if you're part of the royal family, The queen still holds high honor and you respect her as such. A person's position then determines how we respond to them. A person's rank, a person's office that they hold uh, makes it such that, that, that we give deference to who they are. The same is true with the Lord Jesus Christ. The position that he holds now as as reigning king determines the response that we need to have before him. The proper response to Christ then, and this is our point this morning, the proper response to Christ is that each one of us repent before the Lord Jesus. Repentance in this passage is a call that Peter brings to the people not only because of who Jesus is but what He has done and now how He has been exalted over all creation. Jesus Christ, and we talked about this in Sunday school, is truly God. And so we worship Him as God. And yet, He came to earth, died, rose again, and now is placed as the King of kings over all creation. He rules as the Messiah. And because He rules, He deserves respect. He deserves that we come before Him and repent. And there really only are two positions that you can have under Jesus Christ. That is one of resisting Him, one of rebellion, or one of yielding to Him, one of repenting and submitting before His name. So the proper response to Christ, and we want to focus on the title that He has here, the proper response to Christ is that each one of us repent before Him. So first this morning, Repent before Jesus because he has been seated at God's right hand. This passage, this preaching of Peter is all about the gospel and it is all about what happened to Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message of good news and it centers on the person of Jesus Christ and his work. He died. To pay the penalty for our sins. He did not stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And even more, sometimes an aspect of the gospel that can be uh, maybe underemphasized or maybe missed a little bit in our in our preaching and our sharing of it today is not only did Jesus die and rise again from the dead, he ascended up into heaven. He was exalted to the Father's right hand. So Jesus Christ was exalted to God's right hand where He sent the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured this, uh, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Uh, now, remember, Peter is walking through this sequence of events and the reason he is addressing what happened to Jesus is the, the people of God, the early church, they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They start preaching the gospel in various languages and there are all these people gathered in Jerusalem from all over the Roman world. Uh, they maybe speak the local language a little bit. But suddenly they are hearing the gospel in their own tongue. Uh, my grandparents grew up and they could speak Pennsylvania Dutch in the home. Uh, they could speak English very well. They still speak English very well. But in the home, sometimes the, the language was the Pennsylvania Dutch. And when I was a, a, a grandchild, uh, a young kid, if my grandparents ever wanted to say something that they didn't want the kids to hear, they would talk over us in Pennsylvania Dutch. They were a little more comfortable in that language. Well, the same thing is going on here. People are hearing the gospel in the language, their native tongue, that they are most comfortable with. It's like hearing it in something that you immediately recognize and not something that you have to filter through translation. And the people begin to say, What is going on here? And there was such excitement, there was such a commotion, they, they began to say, Well, these, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, they're drunk. And Peter says, I'm going to explain to you what you're seeing and hearing. And he explains it. Jesus Christ died on the cross. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead and God exalted him. And now that Jesus went up into heaven, he has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit. That promise we showed it came from the Old Testament as a fulfillment of the new covenant And Peter is saying, this is what you're seeing and hearing. But this happens because Jesus himself went back up into heaven. In the scriptures, the picture is that God is this great and mighty king who who reigns in heaven. And heaven is like his throne. It's his, his glorious throne room. And so Isaiah goes into the temple and he sees heaven open up before him and he sees God sitting on this throne and these royal robes draping down into the very temple on earth that Isaiah is in. Psalm 11 verse 4 The Lord is in his holy temple the Lord's throne is in heaven. 1 Kings 22:19 Therefore hear the word of the Lord I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the hosts of heaven standing beside him, all all the angels around him, to his right and to his left, Isaiah sixty six one. Thus saith the Lord: Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Matthew twenty three twenty two. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and Him who sits on it. God has this power and majesty over all that He created, and He says to his Son, Jesus Christ, who has died and rose again. He says to Jesus, come up now into heaven and sit at my right hand. Take the most exalted position over creation next to me. And Jesus Christ had glory with the Father before the world began. He he was in heaven, in the presence of God, being truly God Himself. But now, He came to earth. He died for us. He he humbled Himself, even unto death on a cross, as Scripture says. And Philippians chapter 2 says, God exalted Him. Now, taking Him up into heaven and sitting him down at his own right hand so that we would know and see that Jesus Christ reigns over everything. This picture is what God has always done to kings in the Old Testament. When kings were humble, the the human kings, the earthly kings, the kings of Israel, when kings were humble before God, God would lift them up. David, a man after God's own heart, worshiping God in humility, and, and God establishes his throne, and God makes a promise in 2 Samuel 7 to, to Solomon and to the sons of David that David would have a kingly line. It's interesting that in 1 Samuel, Samuel's mother, praising and worshiping God, says that the Lord makes poor and rich, he brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He sets princes so that they might inherit a seat of honor. Second Samuel 2 Samuel 2.10 The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King. And He will exalt the horn of the anointed, of His anointed. That's a promise about the Messiah. The king, Jesus, humbling himself, going to death on the cross. And what does God do out of this? He exalts him and lifts him up. He raises him up and puts him as the king. Psalm chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 8. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. And and what does Jesus say at the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me over heaven and earth. Go, therefore, into all the nations and what? Make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, this psalm, Psalm 2, is fulfilled and the ends of the earth belong to Jesus. And how is Jesus going to exercise that, that kingship? He makes us witnesses. He wants us to take the Gospel out there so that people might become saved. But the point is, Jesus who died on the cross to save people, now reigns and has displayed His reign over all creation. We need to know this. But more than just knowing this, we need to believe this. We need to trust in the One who actually does reign over all things. Who is in control over all of creation. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and sat down at God's right hand. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. For David did not ascend into the heavens. You remember last week, it, it was a prophecy about the resurrection in Psalm 16. And Peter said, by the way, David died and he didn't rise again. Now he says, by the way, David... Never ascended up into heaven. But it was promised to one of David's descendants. And, and it says, David himself, he himself says, again, remember, David was being a prophet, writing the word of God. So he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool. There's a couple of things going on here. One, and, and you remember in the Gospels, Jesus uses this passage. He plays a little game called Stump the Pharisees. Remember how the Pharisees are always asking Jesus Bible questions and he's always answering them and amazing them? Well well, Jesus comes back and he asks them a question. And he says, How is it that David calls the Messiah David's own descended, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-whatever, grandson. How is it that David calls him Lord? Now, my grandparents, my grandfathers anyways, have all passed away. Uh, But as much as they loved me, I was always a grandson. They never called me Lord. They never called me as someone more important than them. How is it that David calls his great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Lord. In fact, David says here, the Lord, using the name of God, Yahweh, says to my Lord, using the the title there for my king, my Lord, my ruler, sit at my right hand and I will make the enemies. That's because David's grandson, great-great-great-whatever-it-is, grandson, Jesus Christ is greater than David. Jesus Christ is God the Son who appeared in the flesh, who died and rose again, and now God says to His Son, come up into heaven and come into My glory again and sit at My right hand so that everybody can see and how David even saw before Jesus came, Jesus is greater than than me the second thing going on here is this sit at my right hand is this this royal position of honor you don't get any higher than a kingdom than than sitting at the right hand of the king remember joseph remember how the pharaoh takes him out of prison and and he puts joseph in charge of everything in the land and he basically says No one in this kingdom except for me is greater than you. Joseph, in a very real way, ruled at the Pharaoh's right hand. God and the Father and God the Son are one in their power and their majesty. But in this royal throne room, so that we might know how great Jesus is, Jesus sits down in his human body, ascended into heaven at the throne of God, at his very right hand, exercising all the power and authority that the Father himself has. And then the picture is all of your enemies are going to be like a footstool. You will you will put your feet over them. You will be the boss. You will be in charge So that Scripture says in in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that will happen in one of two ways. You will either say that now in this life and and when you enter the next life in the presence of God, you will delight in being in God's presence and you will say, He is my Lord. He is my King. I love you. Or you will live in this life in rebellion and at the day of judgment, you will stand before the throne and you will see Him for who He is and that is Lord. And you will be compelled to because you can no longer resist. But it will be a confession of your judgment that He is Lord and He has the right to to condemn me. And it will be too late to turn and, and worship Him out of joy and delight. There's a picture in the book of Joshua. And Joshua tramples these kings. And they actually, the kings rush into a cave and they hide and they, they seal up the cave. And, and then uh, they, they go and they kill the rest of the, the people that are the armies that are running around and they come back out and they let the kings out of this cave. And in symbolism, before they judge the kings, before they kill the kings for their rebellion against the Lord, they put their feet on the necks of the king. It's a way of saying, you lost. You lost. You served the wrong God. And He's judged you. And the picture here is, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If you stand as an enemy of God, as an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, you lose. You lose and He will judge you. And that is why later on at the end of Peter's preaching, the people come and it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to the Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We need to hear this message today and, and remind people that Jesus Christ died to save us But He is the King. And if we do not receive this salvation, we lose. And we will be an enemy. And we will be put under Jesus as a footstool. The great hope of the Gospel is we do not have to let this happen to us. We can receive the salvation and believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and put our trust in Him. But we need to know that Jesus is a King. Let me make three observations. Uh, We can make some applications from these. But three things I want you to, to see from this passage. First, Jesus Christ cannot enter the glory of God and take His seat if He is not God's Son, truly equal with God in power and glory. We talked about this in Sunday school. Uh, Hopefully you know this well. But Jesus Christ has been for all eternity past truly God. He is born at a certain time in the Virgin Mary where it says God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. He becomes a human being without ever ceasing to be God. And his death and resurrection happens to him in his humanity. But the scripture says, God says over and over again, I will not give my glory to another. I do not share my glory. And so the fact that that God can say to Jesus, come up into my presence, share in my glory, sit at my right hand. It shows us who Jesus really is. He is God's eternal son. God does not say to someone who is merely a human or only a human being, sit at my right hand and dwell within this radiance of my glory. In heaven, we will be in the presence of the glory of God, but we will not reign and radiate the glory. We will only reflect it as image bearers. It shows us that Jesus is truly God's Son. Second, Jesus ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand in his human resurrected body. I think sometimes as Christians, and maybe you've been here, and I probably have been here at various points in my Christian life, we don't know what to do with the ascension. We, we rightly focus on the death of Jesus And we rightly say, well, Jesus had to rise again from the dead because Paul tells us we'd still be in our sins if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead. And then we kind of say, oh, yeah, Jesus also went back up into heaven. Isn't that nice? Happy ending kind of thing. But what we forget is it's different from the way that Jesus always was in heaven. This is not merely Jesus lives happily ever after. Kind of the the end that we tack on to a fairy tale story. Jesus Christ has a resurrected body. And in that resurrected body, he goes up into heaven. And so he reigns in a new way. He is, on the one hand, God's eternal son. On the other hand, he's still that Messiah, he's still the son of David. And so when He exercises reign and rule, He does it as one who continues to represent Me. He really is my King. And Hebrews tells us that He is like us in every way in His humanity, yet He doesn't have sin. He's my King. And there is a human being in human resurrected flesh sitting in the glory of God at God's right hand so that when I pray, there is one there who represents me still. Just as much as Jesus represented you on the cross and took your place and He had to be in a human body to do that, Jesus Christ goes into heaven and stands there for you and stands as one who continues to represent you. And the father says, now sit at my right hand so that Jesus Christ, as Ephesians tells us, really is the head of the church, his body. We would say as Christians, I belong to Jesus but we sometimes forget just how intimate, just how close and tight that connection really is. To make this connection happen, Jesus became human. He died for you as a human being so that, that all of the weight of God's wrath for sin could rest upon Him in your place. But now... He stands as a king, but he stands as one who is still fit to be your representative. We would say that the president of the United States represents us. And to represent us, he has to be first an American citizen. And you'll know with the politics that go on, you know, different people run for election and uh, there was debate, was Obama really an American citizen? Where's his birth certificate from? And then there was Ted Cruz who wanted to come. And, well, he was born in Canada. Does that still count? And then there was John McCain. Well, he was born on a Navy base in Panama. Does that still count? And they, they just, I'm not getting into the politics, but they raised a ruckus over it. Because the president has to be one of us, an American citizen. Our king. Has to be one of us. And in the perfection of God's plan, He is. He is. And He takes upon His mantle all of these wonderful Old Testament promises that God would raise up a king from the line of David. And it's a wonderful truth. The ascension of Jesus is not some sort of, oh, ho hum, isn't that nice? He goes back into heaven. As he leads a royal procession into heaven itself so that he can be our king and we can come and worship him. Finally, uh, just the third observation here, the exaltation and the ascension of Jesus is not an afterthought to Christian preaching and teaching. Jesus is not just a savior who dies. He is a savior who reigns. In other words, when Peter here preaches the gospel, he does not just preach the death of Jesus, although that's extremely important. You can't preach the gospel without that. He offers Jesus as a Savior who has died, but he preaches the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus' death is of no value if He stays dead. Remember, it was impossible for death to hold Him. But he also preaches the exaltation and the ascension of Jesus, death, resurrection and ascension or kingship or exaltation that that all of these things go together. The word gospel itself in in regular common everyday usage was used of royal announcements A king is born. That's good news. Caesar or a king is put on the throne. That is good news. In the Old Testament, part of the good news in Isaiah is that your God reigns. And in the New Testament, the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He did not stay dead. He rose again from the dead in triumph over the grave. And God was so pleased that he said to his son, come sit at my right hand. And that is good news for us because he goes there to continue to be our savior The exaltation is not an afterthought. This puts us in in one of two positions. Either we're someone who bows and submits and, and yields to the Lord Jesus Christ, or we're an enemy. And an enemy in this life still has the opportunity to turn and repent. And that is the call of the gospel believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. And you can actually do that because Jesus Christ is a perfect Savior. Because Jesus Christ was perfectly resurrected and conquered death. And because Jesus Christ goes into heaven and is a perfect King who delights when people come to Him and want to be His subjects. Second, this morning, repent before Jesus because he has been installed as the Messiah and the Lord. Think of a king being put on the throne. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is saying you killed him and God raised him up and put him on the throne. This is what it means when he says God made him Lord and Christ. Now, let me be very clear here because this verse can sometimes be con- confusing. But Jesus being made Lord and Christ does not mean that Jesus wasn't eternally God. That's not what Paul, uh, or Peter is talking about here. Jesus has always been truly God. You can't make God. If if you make God, then he wasn't really God and he isn't really God. Jesus Christ has always been that way. Uh, Hebrews chapter one, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what doesn't change about Jesus is that he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is is one with God. He is God's son. But in his human experience, he does come to earth, humble himself, and God makes him a king in his humanity. Lord is a title of rulership, of authority here. Christ is a title that he is uh, the Messiah. And these two things are, are linked together in the Old Testament. So Jesus in his resurrection and ascension is installed as a king. Uh, think of it this way, if this, if this analogy might, might help you. Uh, don't press it too far. But, but think of, of Queen Elizabeth. She was... And, and even before she's installed on the throne, she's always been royalty. At every moment of her existence, she has always been royalty. But there is a moment in time after her father, Prince George VI, dies, that, that they put the crown on her and she is made queen. Jesus Christ has always been royalty. He has always been truly God, radiating the glory and the majesty of God. And for all of his existence, which is eternal, that is the way that it has been. But in his humanity, which he takes on for our sake, there is a moment in time where God says, here is your crown. And this crown will radiate and everyone will see that you are king of kings, And Lord of Lords. Romans chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 says. Concerning his son he was descended from David according to the flesh. So concerning his son. This Jesus who is eternal. He was descended from David according to the flesh. And was declared to be the son of God in power. According to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. So in his resurrection and ascension. There is this declaration, this appointing that Jesus reigns in power. There's this wonderful example from an early church father by the name of Athanasius. And Athanasius was a guy and it was said of Athanasius at one time that everybody was so opposed to the truth of the gospel that he was in effect one of the very few that were left. And it was said that it was Athanasius against the world, against all of these people and even leaders in the church who rejected that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he was truly God's Son. But Athanasius describes how it is that Jesus took on human flesh and he uses the imagery of a king who comes to dwell in a royal city. And everyone in that city now has honor and privilege because the king has taken up residence there. That city then is under the protection of the king because he has placed his royal flag there. Jesus Christ is the eternal king who takes up residence in a human body. He plants his flag, as it were, in humanity so that he can reign And protect his people. And save a people unto himself. And God takes Jesus. And allows him to ascend into heaven itself. This is what Jesus does. This is who he is. This is why we need to be people who repent. The third point uh, this morning is simply repent before Jesus. And be baptized. uh, Because this is the reception of forgiveness. So we have here in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And scripture refers to Jesus as Lord in two ways. One. He is Lord. He he is truly God. That word for Lord is the exact same word that is often used for the divine name in Scripture. Yahweh. Everyone who calls on the name of Jehovah or Yahweh will be saved. And Paul says that's who Jesus is. But Scripture also uses it as this royal title. He is King. He is the ruler he is Lord who exercises authority. And when I place my trust in Him, I am yielding to Him. I am bending the knee and saying, Lord, You need to save me. I see that I am a sinner. I see that I need forgiveness. And I turn to You. This is what repentance means. It means literally To turn. That there is a recognition that I'm a sinner and this is the path that I'm heading on. And this path leads me to judgment. This path leads me to eternal suffering and condemnation. But I repent and turn and come before the king on bended knee and I, in a sense, plead and say, Jesus, forgive me with this salvation that you have offered. Receive the forgiveness of sins. Peter continues as he goes on to implore them and exhort them save yourself from this crooked generation. Later on, as the gospel spreads, Paul writes to 1 Thessalonians, or he writes the book of 1 Thessalonians to the church at Thessalonica. And and they lived amongst people themselves who were wicked. And there was in that city many who worshipped idols and bowed before these foreign gods. And what does Paul say of the believers? He says this. For they themselves, this is other Christians, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is their conversion. They placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and and they turned from these idols and said, we want to serve the Lord. We yield to Him. We need His salvation and forgiveness. forgiveness. True faith and trust in Jesus Christ professes who He is and repents before Him. There's also this remark about Uh, being baptized as well. Repent and be baptized. The Scripture is very clear that, that baptism itself does not save us, but it's an outward display of an inward response in our hearts that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have professed faith in Him and put our trust in Him. And when you get baptized... It's a profession that you belong to Jesus. And so we take the person and they go down under the water and that's a symbol of I belong to Jesus' death. Just as Jesus went into the grave. His blood paid for my sins. And we bring the person up out of the water because we don't want them to drown. Uh, we're not sending them to heaven right there. But, but it's symbolism that, that the b- new believer has risen with Christ. We are alive in a new spiritual life just as Jesus came up out of the grave. And so it's a way of saying, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. And so that you might know this, so you might know that I belong to Him, I go down under the water and up. And Peter is saying, repent and be baptized, not because baptism itself saves you, but baptism is saying to everybody else, I trust Jesus. Forgiveness comes from Jesus. But what I want you to notice here is that these two, faith and repentance, go hand in hand. They're like two sides to a coin so that you cannot have one without the other. Trust and repentance. And there is no position in this passage of Scripture or in all of Scripture, there is no category of an individual who says Jesus is my Savior, but I don't believe he's Lord. I'm just not there yet. When you are accepting Jesus Christ, you are accepting all of him. You believe that He is God. You believe that He died on the cross. You believe that He rose again from the dead. And you believe He ascended and is reigning as Lord. You are acknowledging Him. And you are saying, this is the guy that I trust. And because I trust Him, I see how awful my sins are. I see what He had to do to save me. And I'm never in this life perfect. But I at least repent and am sorry for what I have done. The preaching of the gospel then is a proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. That He is God and He is a reigning King. And believing upon Him is believing upon His death, His resurrection, and His exaltation. furthermore, I never make Jesus Lord. Sometimes we use the phrase, you know, make Jesus Lord of your life. And, and on the one hand, I understand what it means. And there is this ongoing process of growth in my Christian life where I, I regularly have to learn to obey. And if that's all we mean, then, then that's in a sense okay. But in coming to Christ, I'm yielding to him. I don't make Jesus Lord. I don't even make Jesus Lord of my life. He is Lord. He is Lord of all creation. He he reigns. And and God says to him, you reign over everything, even your enemies you are Lord of. and, And if they don't repent, you will crush them under your feet on the day of judgment. Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch of God's creation that Jesus does not look at and say, it's mine. The unbelieving, unrepentant sinner, even though they don't acknowledge it, is under the kingship of Christ. But they are living in rebellion to that kingship. We want to be a people who are not only under that kingship, in a general sense, just like anybody in the United States is under the authority of the president, we want to be citizens of that kingdom. And to do that, we accept and believe Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It says in verse 41, And so those who received his word were baptized, and they added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls that day came to the Lord Jesus Christ because Peter preached the gospel. And they believed that Jesus Christ was the Savior and the Lord, and they received him as such. Let me give you this illustration to end. If you're an American citizen, and I'm assuming and I think that everybody here is an American citizen today, but if you're an American citizen, you don't get to say, I accept Obama as a person, but he's not my president. We might may not like his politics, and that's, you know, that's fine to debate at a later time. But there's an office he holds, and we respect the office. And by virtue of you being a citizen of that kingdom or of this country, even if you didn't vote for him, he is our president. In the same way or in an analogous way, I don't get to say, I like the person of Jesus, I like him as my savior, but he's not really my Lord. It's an office that he holds and by virtue of being his child, by virtue of being a citizen in his kingdom as a Christian, He is my Lord. And I may in my Christian life struggle with that at times. I may not always obey and yield. And I need to come back and I need to pray and repent and and, and come before Him and, and, and again ask for forgiveness. But it doesn't change the fact that if I belong to Him, He is, from the moment I believed in Him, my Lord. Do you believe that this morning, that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord of heaven and earth? Are you his child in such a way that you have professed faith in him and received the forgiveness of sins? And do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the King of kings? Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that from this passage today, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes. Lord, sometimes in our Christian walk, repentance can be painful as we bring our sins before you and we feel shame. But you are such a good and merciful King. You are such a kind and gentle, loving God that you respond and you turn and forgive us. And you minister that forgiveness with such grace and compassion and mercy. Oh Lord, I pray that a passage like this and these wonderful truths in Scripture would encourage us and motivate us to want to tell other people that Jesus Christ died on the cross and offer salvation to them. If they would just turn and receive Him as Savior and acknowledge that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray these things in Your name. Amen.